Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. If you're joining us live, we want to welcome you. Uh, We are talking about sex today. And um, I'm going to introduce some things about sex that I think are very doctrinal and very healthy uh, for our church to understand and apply and to also resonate with family members and friends and and loved ones. Um, But this series, it's not that complicated, is actually devoted to unpacking biblical truths when it comes to relationships. And as you've heard us say it before, uh, the way that God designed us, um, God designed us not to be in isolation, but to be into, in, but actually to be in relationship with one another. And the reality is, is that we overcomplicate that. We overcomplicate that in conversation. We, com- we complicate that in relationship and communication in different aspects of our Christianity. And um, so today, uh, Roxanne was going to be up here and minister with me, but uh, she wanted to receive from me this morning. So, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we. She's going to come back up in a couple of weeks, and we're going to, this is going to be a two-part series, but I really want to just introduce um, what the Bible has to say about sex and what we as believers need to uh, do in order to honor uh, God's design for sex. In other words, who should and sh- who shouldn't be having it, um, as well as understand the meaning of it and how to have healthy sex, and lastly, how to heal from sexual abuse. Um, let me just, we're speaking from a biblical perspective with um, 30 years of life application. Uh, and I just really want to help as many people as I can today to understand what the Bible has to say about it. And let me also say that I understand that, that there are probably a lot of people in this room right now that have experienced some kind of violation or abuse because of it. And so I don't want to disqualify that, and I don't want to be insensitive to that. So I'm going to be talking about some things that might make some of us feel uncomfortable. In fact, my mom called me, and she told me that she wasn't coming today because I was going to talk about sex. And it made her feel super uncomfortable. And I was like, Mom, come on. You need, you need to learn, Mom. And, and she's, she's like, no, 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 papito. I'm not, I, I don't go there. I don't go there. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Mom. It's cool. And I, and I just realized that if my mom felt that way, there's probably a lot of other people that feel this way but in particular to um, the violation that's attached to it. And so let me just, let me just say this, that if, if you've experienced any sense of violation in um, your life because of the abuse of this, what I want you to know, what I want you to hear is that we serve a God that is able to heal you from that violation and that he's not displeased with you. In fact, he loves you and he treasures you. He loved you so much that he wasn't willing that you live in this, and so he gave us his son so that we can be healed and totally restored for the, from the sins and the experiences of this life in, 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 in a way that only God can do it, right? And so with the help of God, with the help of his word, with the help of his presence, his Holy Spirit, we're going we're gonna to talk about some things that I think are very, um, uh, uh, you know, taboo in some sense, but they need to be talked about because whatever you don't confront, you don't heal, Whatever stays unconfronted stays alive and keeps hurting you. And so I, I want to cut the head off the giant uh, in the room that, that says that we're not allowed to talk about this kind of stuff in church. In fact, 
I think if anybody's going to talk about it, it should be the church talking about it. Because the church understands biblically what God has designed and created sex for. And let me just, let me just say this real quickly. I want to say to you today that God designed sex for his purpose and our pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Mitch, the only brave man in this room right now. God designed sex for his purpose and our pleasure. Make no mistake that God designed sex to be pleasurable. In the context and framework of biblical Christian marriage, let me just make sure that we understand that. And so, um, real quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me just share this portion of scripture with you and then we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to open our ears, our hearts, our minds um, to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to say. So all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, let's include the women of God in that, the man and women of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so let's pray. Let's bow our head, close our eyes. And let's just remove all distractions from us, anything that might be distracting us, um, anything that might be hindering our listening and developing that listening skill that we talked about last week because of past hurts, past experience, past abuse. Lord, right now, I just pray in Jesus' name that you help us navigate through this conversation that we're going to have this morning in a very holy and biblical way. Help us to understand it. Hear it and apply it to every aspect of our Christianity, every aspect of our lives and our relationships. And Father, we just pray that this understanding and this teaching glorify you as we worship you with everything that's within us. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple quick things. Number one, the first thing that I would like to say to you guys this morning is that God's creative design and assignment for sex is something that came from him and not from us. It's something that was designed specifically by him and for him, for us and through us. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 and 24 says this. It says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why... A man leaves his father and mother and is united or um, unified in another translation uh, to his wife and the two become one. That's really interesting when you look at the book of Genesis because it's not meant to be a scientific book. It's meant more so to be a historical book. And so we're not going to get a whole lot of science out of it because Um, that developed with knowledge as the knowledge of man increased. But we need to understand that God created man and woman for his purpose and for his will. And the way that Genesis describes it is that woman was taken from the side of man, right? But in the context of what God's trying to teach us today is that the two become one. So they're not individual per se, but the two have become one. And that's important when we talk about sex. It's very important when we talk about sex because the two becoming one isn't just a physical thing. It's a psychological thing. 
It's an emotional thing, and it's a very spiritual thing that happens when the two, who are individual, are brought together in Christ to become one. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And so we have to understand while adultery and sexual immorality both fit under the same bracket of sexual sin, the reality is that they're both different in their outcome. They're both sin, but they're both different. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20 out of the message translation says this, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex, the kind of sex, that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonelier or lonelier than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. Did you hear that? This is the kind of sex that cannot become one. It's outside of the covenant of marriage. It's outside of the covenant of commitment. It's outside of the covenant of intimacy. And if done or abused improperly, then it leaves you with loneliness, not fulfillment. It's what the Bible's teaching us right now. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize that your body is sacred, a sacred place, a place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for. What did God pay such a high price for? God paid an extremely high price to restore you and remove you out of darkness to bring you into his marvelous light to have a personal, intimate, committed, covenant relationship with you so that his presence and his power resides within us which he describes as his temple that's why the bible declares you are no longer belong to yourself per se you and i belong to god you and i are the temple of god and he's what he's saying is that, that there is no way that you can have this relationship with the father being separated by sexual immorality. There's no way that his presence is going to reside in a temple that worships sex and not the creator of it. So let's go on. It says, do you not see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. So in another translation, it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the living God? 
And just as God is holy, he has called you and I to be holy. Why? Because we serve a holy God that wants to dwell in a holy sanctuary. And that's who we are. We are carriers of the glory of God. We are carriers of the presence of God. We are carriers of the power of God. And God wants to reside and inhabit this temple of worship that is dedicated and blood-bought by Jesus for his will and purpose. And so it, it, it's, it's in this that we see God's wisdom poured out, uh, and he introduces what I call guardrails or parameters that have been created to keep us holy, hungry, and happy. Holy because of God's imputed righteousness upon us through his son Jesus Christ, uh, hungry in the sense that we hunger for more, we thirst for more of God, and happy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that, so, so I understand that my life isn't just about me and that the plan of my life isn't just about me. It's about me, it's about my family, it's about my children, it's about my legacy, it's about the call of God, it's about the expression or the testimony that God has placed inside of me. And so I have to be mindful of the parameters or restrictions that are placed on my life in order that I can honor God to the fullest. So let's be clear. These guardrails that we're going to talk about today, these parameters that God sets, they're not restrictions as in the sense of withholding something good. They are more protective over what good God has placed in you and for you. And so these are instructions and guardrails on how to enjoy what God's created to the fullest. So, because God's um, intention for sex throughout the millennia has been distorted by Satan and manipulated by man. And the results are devastating to relationships. Devastating. Marriages have been destroyed. Families have been destroyed. Children have been destroyed. Um, entire nations have come under the judgment hand of God. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of sexual immorality. That they weren't, There weren't even ten righteous men that could be found in that city. And so God rains down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. One man said, if God doesn't judge us for our sexual immorality, he's going to have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because judgment does come with sin. And I don't know about you, but the, our church is the kind of church that we're just going to call things out for what the Bible says that they are. We don't have to water it down, and we don't have to tolerate, because God doesn't tolerate sin. Right? And so, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, the first relationship that's strained because of an abuse that transpires through sexual immorality is the intimate personal relationship that we individually have with our creator. But it also strains and it damages the relationships that we have with our spouses and with our children and our children's children and our friends and our, and, and our loved ones and, and our teammates here at Restoration Life. And so it's important that we understand that these relationships are strained and they go the wrong way because of sexual immorality, which is sin. And so, and what this does is that it, it, it intensifies the loneliness and the inability for true intimacy 
Because that's the reward of having sex outside of covenant with God, is that you're not going to experience fulfillment. In fact, it's the opposite. It's that you'll experience the loneliness. And it may feel good for a moment, but it's going to cost you maybe throughout your lifetime. And so it's important that we understand these parameters, that we understand these guardrails, and we understand that sex is something that we have to learn how to honor. Sex is something that, 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 is something that we need to learn how to communicate and talk about it in a very healthy Christian way. Sex is something that we need to abstain from if we're single and we're not in holy matrimony in a biblical context. And it's something that we have to be careful of because there's a lot of things that are happening in today's culture, today's society, social media, hashtags, cable TV, ser- series, and, and all this other stuff that, that has a massive sexual bent to it because Satan knows what's attractive to man. And so 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to them in chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Everybody say sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? Sanctified again, let me teach you, means to be set apart for the purposes of God. That's what it means to be sanctified, to be set apart. You were, you were living one way, you were breathing, uh, or you were living a certain lifestyle, and then you came into a personal relationship with Jesus, and because of Jesus and the grace of God and the mercy of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you surrendered in faith, in the work of the cross, and, and accepted Christ, and now you become a new creation, you're born again, you're brand new, and since that moment, God sanctifies you and pulls you aside and away from everyone and everything else and says, your life isn't about you anymore, it's all about me and you, it's about us together, but I've got a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's set apart from everybody else's plans that they've made for themselves. So I've set you apart for a very specific purpose, I've set you apart in holiness for a very specific task. And so God sanctifies you, that you and, and in that sanctification, he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans, those who do not know God. That's what Paul is saying. And I think according to Scripture, We need to understand what sexual immorality is. And again, this is not probably a sermon or even many of the scriptures that I'll use today probably aren't a lot of the scriptures that a lot of American churches are even preaching anymore because we've become tolerant where God is intolerant. We've allowed things into the body of Christ that God would never allow into his temple. We've allowed things into our Christian culture and lifestyle that were never meant to infiltrate the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of God was made to expand and infiltrate darkness so that light could shine and people can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, what is sexual immorality? What's well, a loaded question, but I'm going to give you the short version of it. Sexual immorality is essentially an engagement and sexual behavior or sexual acts outside of the sanctity of biblical marriage. Notice that I say biblical. Because not all marriages are biblical. 
Can I say that? Is that a, like a mic drop moment? Not all marriages are biblical. Not all marriages are, are, are biblical. In fact, it's the reason why when we marry a couple, we love to do premarital counseling. Because we want to make sure that they understand what covenant is. What it means to be in covenant. Because a marriage certificate isn't a contract. It is a covenant with God. And it is a covenant with one another. And covenants are unbreakable. They're unbreakable. In fact, in the, in the ancient days, you've heard me say this before, when a, when a man and a woman, male and a female, come together to be one, the ceremony is, part of the ceremony, they take an, an old animal or, or, or a perfect animal, and they split this animal in half. They literally sacrifice this animal to the covenant of this relationship. And in doing so, they split this animal in half, and there's blood on the ground. And the, the couple that is coming into a covenant with one another walk down the aisle of blood. What do you think that we, we get walking down the aisle from? Right? They're walking down an aisle of blood, saying to themselves, let what happened to, to this animal happen to us if we violate our covenant to one another and to God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll find out that when God makes a covenant with his children, he chooses the most intimate part and organ of a male. And he circumcises us, and there's blood that's shed, and there's a sacrifice that's made so that we come into a right standing or a covenant relationship with the Father through commitment and through intimacy. And so there was blood shed at the covenant making between man and God, there was bloodshed in the covenant between a husband and wife. In fact, the reason why women would wear white was because of their, their holiness, because of their purity. And the white dress represented the purity of a virgin. Now watch this. When they would consummate the marriage, blood was shed and a covenant was established. Right? Because you had two virgins coming to know one another and they would lay a white sheet on the bed to make sure that the female was a virgin and that she would bleed out so that the covenant was secure. In the New Testament, God comes up with an even better covenant with mankind and he sends his only begotten son to die on a cross and sheds his blood to wash away all of our past, all of our shame, all of our hurts, everything that's ever held us back from a relationship with them and it's a new and better covenant with Jesus Christ. And so we're in covenant, so this is an unbreakable thing. This is a till death do us part thing. This is our vow. But society and culture, especially in the Western world, has manipulated and twisted it in a very wicked sense what God intended and designed through creation and marriage and holy covenant when he created sex. C.S. Lewis, many years ago in his book, Mere Christianity, described our contemporary our contemporary struggle with human sexuality in the following words. He says, the Christian idea of marriage is based on Christ's words that a man and his wife are to be regarded as a single organism. For that is what the words one flesh would be in modern English. And the Christians believe that when he said this, he was not expressing a sentiment, but, a stating, but stating a fact, just as one is stating a fact when one says, um, when one says that a lock and its key 
are one mechanism. You have to have the right key to unlock the gift that's behind that door. But they're considered one mechanism. They're not, separate, they're not considered two separate mechanisms. They're recognized as one mechanism, the lock and the key. The two become one. In the same fashion, like a violin and its, um, uh, what is it called? It's, uh, its bow is not two musical instruments, but it's one musical instrument. And it's meant to be that way so that it makes music together. Am I talking to any married couples in the room right now? Come on. Come on, girl. I want to make some music with you right now. And so the inventor, C.S. Lewis says, the inventor of the human machine was telling us that it's two halves, the male and the female, were made to be combined together in pairs, not simply on the sexual level, but totally combined. The monstrosity, he writes, of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, apart from the commitment and apart from the intimacy, from all other kinds of union which is intended to go along with it and make up the total union. The Christian attitude does not mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure any more than the pleasure of eating. It means that you must not isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasures of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and spitting them out again. So what is he saying? He said, he's saying that basically the world has settled for just the pleasure of it, but not the commitment of it. And he's bringing separation to what God designed it to be. Again, let me say it again. God designed sex for his purpose and our pleasure in the confines or framework of a holy biblical covenant marriage. The problem with today is that sexuality has been hijacked by, what, by what, whatever culture says, by whatever the, the, the new thing is, by whatever people are saying about it. No, no, no. We don't go to the creation to find out why he created what he created. We go to the creator. And this is what we're, we're talking about today. The problem is that sexuality has been hijacked. And, and it's been hijacked in so many abusive forms. People deal with sex addictions, right? Pornography. Pornography is the biggest sexual industry on planet Earth today. Just one year's of, of revenue can pretty much run multiple nations for years on end. It's an addiction. Sexual crimes such as sex trafficking and prostitution, um, diseases, sexual diseases, and the diseases that have been birthed from sexual promiscuity and family splintered, and all because of a result of God's intention being hijacked, man manipulated, and distorted to fit man's plan for God's design. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, because we're going to let the Bible preach. Is that okay? Let the Bible preach. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who are the wrongdoers? Right? Well, well, we don't have to figure that out because Paul states it. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexual 
or the sexually immoral. So these are the people that are living outside of God's covenant design for sex, right? Those that are having sex before they're married, uh, those that are having, you know, they're fornicating, people that are having multiple partners that are involved in orgies, people that are, that are, that are, that are masturbating, people that are, are, are dealing with um, uh, pornographies, people that are dealing with prostitution, um, the sexually more, those that are, that are living a life outside of God's design uh, for its intended purposes. So he says, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, right, people that are worshiping false gods, nor adulterers, people that have broken up their covenant because they've gone on to be with other people that they had no business giving themselves to, right? Or men who have sex with men. He's talking about homosexuality. That's sexually immoral. That's, that'll keep you out of heaven. So listen, it's not that God has um, a, a bias between a heterosexual and a homosexual in this sense, because heterosexuals can fall into sexual immorality just as bad as homosexuals do. There's no distinction. The same sin, sin is sin, and it'll keep you out of heaven. And so make no mistake, what the Bible preaches in both the Old and New Testament in love is that homosexuality is a sin and will keep you out of heaven and sever a personal relationship with God the Father. Just like a heterosexual relationship that's living in fornication, is living outside of God's intended design, will keep you out of heaven. Will keep you out of heaven. Let me say that again. It will keep you out of heaven. That's what the Bible says. And then he goes on to say, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, or the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were, past tense. Come on. But you were washed. Am I talking to anybody here in the room right now? You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You and I have been made brand new. We are born again, sanctified, and set apart for a purpose. Come on. What we've experienced in our BC life has nothing to do with what happens in our AD and resurrection life. And so, so historically speaking, there are three basic things or three basic ways that people have viewed sex. Why do I only have four minutes and 55 seconds left? <laughs> historically speaking, and just, I'm going to talk to the men for just a second. Is this okay? Historically speaking, men have viewed sex almost like a false god. Because before we were born again, before we came into that relationship that we're in now with our, with our spouses, many of us, believe it or not, we worshipped it to an extreme, right? We lived for it. Um, we were willing to do just about anything for it. Um, some of you might have paid for it. Come on. You viewed it online. You viewed it in magazines. Your, your first experience with it might have been the JCPenney catalog. In the swimsuit version of it. And, and you know, boys have an awareness of something's up very young in age. <laughs> I didn't mean that to come out that way. No pun intended. 
should have been up here with me. Are these foggy now? How do these get foggy? So one of the perspectives that a lot of men have growing up is that, that this is something, you know, most of us, if we're just being honest, nobody explained this to us. We, we, we just woke up and found out that something else woke up before we did. Again, like, look, this is, we're just keeping it real today. And, and, like, I remember when my grandchildren started to experience this, and, like, my wife and, and my daughter are like, what's that? I'm like, it's normal. No, it's not. It's gross. It's not gross. It's normal. It's, it's the way that God wired us. It's the way that God designed us. He designed us. All right? We're not like these pervs that make that happen all on its own all the time. It happens naturally, all by itself. Right? And it happens at a young age. And then we get into puberty. And things start to change. And, and an experience starts to change. An understanding starts to change. And sensations start to change. And then, then you find yourself attractive, you know, to the opposite sex. And then that, that creates a whole other whirlwind of drama in your life. The next thing you know, if you're not careful, you just, you just start looking for it. As much as you can, wherever you can. Because you really don't care. Because really, man's idea of life is pleasuring self however he can. And I'm not just talking about in a sexual sense. I'm talking about in every sense. That's what has separated and driven us away from God. The fact that we wanted to do things that we wanted to do and not what he wanted us to do. And so many of us have given our life to it, money for it, time to it, energy to it. For some, your identity comes out of it, and your whole life is given largely in part to fulfilling a sexual desire. The second perspective is that sex is gross, that it's nasty, that it's dirty, that it's, 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 it's akala, it's, it's, it's just ill, it's ew. And, and so we'll save it for the person that we love. You know, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense, Right? And, and I would say that a lot of people view it that way, or some people view it that way, and mostly on the, on the female side of it, that they view it that way is because there's been a sense of sexual abuse somewhere in their lifetime. And the unfortunate thing is that, that more so now than ever that young girls are being approached and sexually abused at a much younger age by the very people that are there that are supposed to protect them. And so it's a very real problem. It's a very real issue. And I think that it's our responsibility as the church to talk about it because God wants to confront it because he wants to restore it. He wants you to heal from it. And he wants you to thrive in life. Can somebody say amen? Third position is that sex is a gift that God gives us. Come on, somebody. It's a gift. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Come on. Like, don't withhold my gift from me. It's my gift. In fact, I understand that the Bible says that you should only withhold it for a season of prayer and fasting. 
That's what the Bible says. But I know that you're not praying and you're not fasting right now. <laughs> so don't withhold my gift. Anyways, so, God, so sex is God's design. Can anybody say amen to that? Right? And Satan twisted it and man violated it. And so sex was designed by God to be enjoyed in the parameters of holy biblical matrimony. Because we're not meant to just endure it. Right? It, we're not just meant to endure it. Right? We, as we go upon the business of life, it's, it's meant for us to be fruitful. And yes, being fruitful meant to populate the earth as well as enjoying the action in the process of populating the earth um, within the framework of biblical covenant marriage. And the reason why I keep saying that, the reason why I keep saying biblical covenant marriage, again, is because not every marriage is biblical. And not every marriage has come into a holy covenant because they're unable to because of being, whether it be unequally yoked or whether it be a homosexual trying to have some sense of heterosexual normalcy in the context of marriage. And the Bible calls it an abomination. That's what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the uh, wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, listen to this, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So catch this. When God created Adam and he saw that he was alone and he saw that he wasn't good, God opens the side of Adam's ribcage, and out of the side of Adam, he pulls out Eve. And Eve and Adam are to become one in covenant, in holy matrimony, in holy union, as they replenish the earth, as they are fruitful and they multiply. The fruitfulness doesn't only have to do with the multiplication of human beings, but it also has to do with the multiplication of the joys that God gives us to enjoy as his creation. And in the midst of that, there is nowhere we become more like God, more in the image of God, than we're in holy covenant with one another. When the two become one, we are more like God in, 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 in his creation of his image than any other time we are separate from God. Does this make sense to you guys? So we are one. We, the two shall become one. And the only way the two are one are able to become one in holy matrimony is through covenant. It's through that relationship. And as Christians, we're born again to be reflections of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? To be like Jesus, to be like what he's like. And I know that some might be here today and say, but pastor, what does this have to do with sex? Yes, sex is two bodies being joined together, but sex as God designed it is so much more. It is a soul tie. It is, a, it, it is two souls that are bound together for this lifetime, not just in their physical connection, but also in their emotional and psychological and spiritual connection. This is us reflecting the image of God. Sex unites two people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The Bible calls this a union, or where the two become one. And God's picture of healthy sexuality is a man and a woman exclusively mutually surrendering to one another in love. Not between two men, not between two women, 
not between multiple partners, but a man and a woman that God created to find each other and become one in him. And man has violated that. Man has manipulated that. Our culture celebrates the violation that the Bible declares as truth. Because, lo because love bears fruit, God designed sex so that one of the natural outcomes of sex is children. And isn't it interesting when the Bible talks about the two becoming one, isn't it interesting that when you look at your children, your children look like both of you? Your children usually look like both of you, or at least the one with the stronger genes, right? So what does God care about the specifics of our sex lives? Because God is, God is so much wiser than any of us and all of humanity put together. So much wiser. In fact, Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says that, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so because God designed it, he has a purpose for it. And he sees and understands everything on another level that we do. So when we take sex into our own hands, defining it as we see fit, the results of that usually... What, what results from that is usually confusion. And I mean, no, God's not a God of confusion. Chaos, hurt, heartbreak, and even soul wounds or abuse. I think it's important to know that even within the context of marriage, sex can be used in ways that God did not intend it to be used. So marriage, as God envisions it, is about mutual sacrifice and mutual commitment not power, and not abuse. So remember with me that bad decisions carry bad consequences. And maybe to illustrate this in a different way, but to kind of just drive this point home, when, when anybody drinks alcohol before driving a car, we understand that the chances of something painful happening increase. We might think, you know, one drink won't make a difference, or that we deserve the drink because we've had a hard day, We've had a long day. It's hot outside. Um, I need to unwind. And so because I need to unwind, I'm going to pour myself a glass, or I'm going to pour myself a beer, or I'm going to pour myself six of them or ten of them. And then I'm going to make the most idiotic decision of my life and put myself behind the wheel of a car. Right? And if you crash, more than likely, you're either going to injure yourself or kill someone. And what I want to say to you is that no one will care or listen to any explanation that frees you from the consequence of your bad decision. It's not like you're going to be like, well, I had that many drinks and I drove the car because I was overwhelmed and so I'm sorry. You're sorry, but you killed somebody and you're going to prison. You're sorry but you destroyed somebody else's life and somebody else's family and somebody else's legacy and somebody else's future and somebody else's joy because you weren't smart enough to decide to give the keys to somebody else. You were dumb enough to get yourself behind the wheel of a 3,000-pound mechanism that if not used properly can become a death trap for you or somebody else. In the same sense, 
when we use sex in a way that God did not intend because we're lonely, because we're frustrated, um, because, you know, I've dealt with a lot of things. This just makes me feel good. I find my identity in it. This is not God punishing you, but rather the natural after effects of your choices. God always wants to protect you from entering into any sexual relationship in an unsafe way. He wants us to repeatedly stay as far away from sexual immorality and impurity as possible because there is a car crash waiting to happen in your relationship with God and with others. And so it's not complicated. It really isn't that complicated. But what we like to do as human beings is we like to justify making ourselves feel better whatever the cost. That's how we navigate through this stuff. And what we find ourselves doing is allowing ourselves, well, you know, I'm not being sexually gratified by my spouse, so, so I have to turn to porn. No, you didn't have to turn to porn. That was just your justification to turning to porn. You should have turned to God first. I'm not talking to anybody. Listen, I don't, I don't know a man in this room that's never dealt with pornography problems as a man growing up. Not saying that you were addicted to it, but more than likely, if, listen, if you've ever seen a naked image of a woman as a man, raise your hand if you're a man in this room. Just raise your hand. If you've ever in your lifetime, you're not going to get slapped by her. Don't worry about it. Just everybody. I was, I was, um, introduced to pornography at 10 years old. I was introduced to it by friends of mine. I've left jobs. I've literally quit jobs because of pornography being, being shown at my job. Literally. Gave my two-week notice, left, went somewhere else, was highly blessed because I didn't tolerate it in my life. Because I didn't want it to damage my relationship in my marriage, and I didn't want it to stop the call of God over my life because I allowed something that might be pleasurable for a moment, but it'll cost me a lifetime. So listen, everybody's that women deal with pornography today. More than ever have dealt with pornography. And they deal with it because they're trying to get an arousal out of something that they can't get their spouse to do. And this is a hard reality, and it's because it's been abused. It's been abused, and it's been manipulated, and unfortunately, it has crept into the body of Christ. And so why am I talking about it? Because if I don't talk about it, who will? And the Bible has a lot to teach on it. And if we can expose the devil for the liar that he is, we can live in victory of all these things, away from these things in Christ Jesus. And so he, he warns us repeatedly to stay as far away from sexual impurity as possible because it's a car crash waiting to happen. Ephesians 5.3. And I'm going to bring this to a close right now. I've got so much more, but um, we'll save it for the next time. It says, but among you there must not be even a hint. That, understand the people that he's talking to. The eighth wonder of the, one of the eight wonder of the world is a temple of the goddess and Diana. The sexual goddess is in Ephesus. Very sexually immoral people. This is where Paul the Apostle decides to plant the church in Ephesus. He plants the church in Ephesus amongst sexually immoral people. Like, this is like Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. And Paul plants this church in this community, and then he has the audacity to say, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual impurity. 
or immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And so let me just say this to the church in Lawndale. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, fornication outside of the covenant of marriage, road testing the product before you say, yeah, I want in. Moving in with one another, thinking we'll keep our hands off to ourselves until we say, I do. You're a liar. Leviticus 18.22 says, don't practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman, it's a detestable sin. Another portion of Scripture says it's an abomination. The person is not. Hear me clearly on this, because I know that there are a lot of people that probably go to Restoration Life that are tolerant over the lifestyle of homosexuality. And let me tell you this, Restoration Life loves the homosexuals. We love the people that are struggling with homosexuality, just like we love the people that are struggling with living right in their heterosexuality. Love them all the same. All the same. Everyone, all the same. As best we can as human beings. We love everybody just the same. But we cannot, we cannot allow ourselves to tolerate a lifestyle that's contrary to what the Bible teaches us is, is unholy. Because I love my children. I will tell them to their face, I love you. I disagree with your lifestyle. I disagree with your life choices. I, I disagree with the way that you're going about living this life because I taught you better than that. I modeled this better than that. And so what you're doing is you're, you're just succumbing to your carnal desires because if you were living in the spirit, you would make better decisions. Here's the truth. Here's the hardcore truth. I love everybody just the same, right? But God deals with us differently when it comes to sin. Doesn't tolerate it, not in anybody's life. Not in a homosexual's life and not in a heterosexual's life. Doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Same sin will take you both to hell. Oh, can I still say hell in church today? Right? There is a lake of fire awaiting the sexually immoral. And if we're not careful, if we don't teach this, if we don't preach this, if we don't impart this into our to our young people and let me just say this into some of our elderly people because some of our elderly people can be freaks too science has made a way for you to keep your groove going in fact there's actually a statistic that shows that people that are in the old convalescent homes they have more sex than young people outside of it and there are more STDs going around those old people homes than anything else. That's most of the diseases that are going around in there. Because they're getting jiggy with it, with one another. So it's not just a young, young people thing. It's an everybody thing. Come on. Matthew 5.27, listen to what Jesus said. You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If, 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 if this topic is important to Jesus, if it's important to God and the Holy Spirit, then don't you think it should be important to us? I'm, 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 I'm calling for a state of purity in all of our single young people and even more mature people. I, I feel like pulling out 
hundreds of purity rings and saying, come on, we got to get right with God. We got to repent of our sin. We got to turn away from this stuff and live the way that God has called us to live. Am I talking to anybody here? God instructs us only to have sex with our spouse because he intended marriage to represent his love, his faithfulness, his commitment, his unconditional and permanent grace over our lives. When God says he loves you, he means I'll never give up on you. Even if you betray him, he still loves you. Love isn't just a feeling. You need to know that today, especially for our young people. Love is so much more than a feeling. And some, so many of you get caught up on feeling this and feeling that. But this is, understand with me that back in the day, like, like before westernized culture and democracy and all this, when we, when we lived under a theocracy, God was king and he ruled and what he said went. People had arranged marriages. And, and statistically, those marriages lasted a lot longer than the marriages that we choose for ourselves. Why? Because, because love or the emotion of it wasn't the primary component. It was covenant. Covenant was the primary component of a relationship. Yes, love happens. And yes, love never fails. And yes, love is something that we do feel, but it's so much bigger than that. Love is something that we know because you're not always gonna feel like you love. And so it's important to God, and if it's important to God, it needs to be important to us. I'm gonna close with the scripture. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 8 says, if God, it is God's will that you should be sanctified you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable and not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in that this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or his sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy, a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The pastor, what if, what if your healthy sexually, sexual experiences were not of your own choosing? What if, what if you've been sexually abused? It's vital that you know right now that God is not displeased with you for you had no control over it. And I just pray that the shame come off of you right now in the name of Jesus. I'm so sorry that the person that was meant to protect you harmed you. I'm so sorry that you've experienced the destruction of the sexually immoral imposed upon you brutally by whatever means that came across to you. But I want you to hear me and hear me clearly this morning that there is a God that loves you way beyond that experience. There's a God that is willing and able to restore every aspect of your life. You might be here and say, God, but God, my virginity is gone. God can, can restore and make you white as snow all over again because he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. And so God is in the business of making all things new.